Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, early last year at a regular briefing among Volvo's exec team at Sydney HQ, Managing Director Steve Connor found himself in a what-if moment. Could Volvo Cars' Australian unit steal a march on its local rivals and bring forward the carmaker's global plans for 2030 to exit combustion engines altogether and only sell an all-electric range? Could the Australian division do it by 2026, he pondered clearly out loud to his team. Months later, in October 2022, the question was answered when Volvo announced it was going all out for electrification by 2026, now just three years away. It caused a storm of media coverage and interest that the company and Steve Connor didn't quite see coming. The move has huge implications for Volvo's business here. It will help double the car maker's sales and market share, attract a younger consumer segment not traditionally supercharged on Volvo, and of course it holds all manner of marketing, logistics and operational challenges. So on the mics today to unpack why Volvo Cars Australia has planted its foot on full electrification super early and how it's going to pull this global first off is local boss Steve O'Connor and Marketing Director Julie Hutchinson. Welcome to you both. This is a fascinating area and obviously a big interest area for the population and industry, right, Steve? So to you first, I just, maybe we should uh, start this up, Steve, with um, perhaps explaining Volvo's global electrification strategy first and then why Australia plans to take it up a level. And welcome from London, Steve. Thank you, Paul. Um, Yeah, Volvo. So let's start by carbon emissions. Uh, I think the uh, electrification strategy was really born by reducing our carbon emissions. So that's how we kind of started the journey. So we hedged the plan back in Gothenburg to be to reduce our carbon emissions by 50% by 2025. And when was that, Steve? How long ago? Uh, So that was based uh, two years ago, two, three years ago. Okay. So uh, we want to, as a company, or we want, we will reduce our carbon emissions footprint by 50% by 2025. So to do that, one plan is obviously to make sure that every car, that every new car that we produce from now on will be fully electric. So we plan to bring in uh, five brand new models over the next five years. So one pure electric model every year for the next five years. So there's our journey started. So we're on that journey already. So by 2030, the global uh, the company has announced globally that we will be fully electric car company by 2030. And that means that we won't be sending any more diesel, petrol, mild hybrid. So everything we sell from 2030 and produce will be fully electric. The next phase of our journey goes to 2040 and the uh, Volvo, obviously, we will be carbon uh, climate neutral by 2040. And that's everything in our footprint from producing cars through to our retailers. And that's a global ambition that we're driving towards. So that's kind of how the journey started, Paul. Really. Just to be clear, Steve, that's scope three, right? So that's the supply chain falls in line uh, with carbon yep. emissions as well as just you. That's what we're talking about there. We're talking about everything in in terms of our complete footprint from start and manufacturing a car to end and actually selling the car. And that's where we will take our offices, our retailers, everybody in that whole chain will be fully climate neutral. So that's our, our goal and our ambition. And at the moment, we're well on track to achieve 2025 and we're well on track to achieve 2030 and 2040 as well. 
So talk us through then this crazy idea sometime last early last year where you and your team were thinking about, well, the global target is 2030 for all electric vehicles for Volvo. Why don't we try and just make work hard for ourselves and, and do it by 2026? How did this come about, Steve? You know, you are right. And people have said, are you mad? Are you absolutely mad? Why don't we wait till 2030? I suppose the thing for us uh, on a local level If we see the opportunity to accelerate climate change and we get the ability to do that, then I think we should take that uh, opportunity or that challenge every step of the way. Now, that involves a lot of things. Uh, Our consumers, that involves our business. And also, as you heard, that involves us making sure that we've got the right product coming through. I've been pretty fortunate that I've seen future products, so I know we can match the demand in that respect. I think what happened last year from our point of view is that we started to see the consumer change. So the consumer in Australia was starting to buy the battery electric cars without the subsidies. That was the big tipping point I really noticed in our business. So I said to the guys, you know, if this is the case, we all thought that the change to battery electric will be a nice linear line over the next to 2030. I think what we've actually seen as an OEM and as a manufacturer in Australia is that the the curve has gone at such a sharp incline that our consumers are absolutely ready for it. If they're saying to us now they love the technology and they want to pay extra or they will pay more money for the car, then absolutely, why wouldn't we Why wouldn't we change that direction and strategy to supply the cars that the consumer needs? The other part as well, which is really interesting, is that, you know, and I'm going to say something, by 2030, every OAM will be standing up on the mountain going, look how great we are, banging their chests and saying, you know, we're going to be the fastest transformer. This gives us the lead and the edge against our consumers, against our competitors. Uh, and also it protects our business streams. So everything we talk about, the consumer is absolutely ready for it. We've seen that. Tesla sold over 20,000 cars last year. That just shows you that the market in Australia is ready for the new technology and also ready for battery electric. And again, coming back to who we are, if we see an opportunity to to change the footprint and, and move us quicker to climate neutral, then then we should take that challenge wherever possible. It's not without its challenges, without doubt, Paul, but, you know, it's, it's an exciting one and the product lineup coming through is fantastic as well. Just to be clear, Steve, um, in auto parlance, OAM is, I'm assuming, an auto manufacturer, right? um, for those that yes. are not in the auto sector. Yeah, yeah. So all your competing brands is what you're talking about there. Yes. So, so the upside here, what is the upside for the brand and the business in terms of your growth trajectory, your sales, your market share by doing this early? You, I take your point that getting in early will give you some early mover advantage versus the, the rest of the pack. But what do you think it's going to do for the business? It protects our revenue streams, Paul. Yep. At the moment, you know, when you see old and new technology coming, we've all seen it in our industry. When you have old and new technology side by side, the only thing most of the manufacturers do is sell on price. Price is, is not obviously a position that we want to start to fight in. So absolutely, we're going to be the fastest transformer. It will be our point of difference. And we've got a bit of time now to educate our consumers of what that looks like and how that's going to work. So absolutely, it's the right thing to do. We're also only in Australia heading towards a 2% market share. So we're not saying we want 100% or 98% of the market. We only want 2%. Now, to do that, if we go early, we're going to be a big fish in a small pond. If we wait till 2030, everybody will be shouting from the rooftops and we would have established ourselves as 
a fully electric car company, which is something none of the other competitors will be able to talk about until at least 2030 and beyond. So it does give us the competitive advantage. It will protect our business revenue streams, and it will also make sure that we grab the market and the consumers who are ready today. And, and I think, like I said earlier, our consumers are really ready for it. So let's, let's offer them a product that's going to satisfy their needs. 2% uh, market share, Steve, equals how many units, how many vehicles? Yeah, so we're looking, so the market is roughly about a million cars a year. It fluctuates up and down slightly. So we're looking at 20,000 cars by 2026. And what are you doing now? This year, we're heading for just short of 15,000 cars. Okay. And last year, we delivered and sold 10,000 cars. But the difference in that target you're talking about is that is all electric. So on that front, it does present some really big challenges, uh, I guess, logistically and operationally for the business. Um, you've got dealers, you've got charging networks. They're sort of all, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there I'd love to get your thoughts on. And of course, the supply, you know, I'm assuming you're confident you can get the supply. It's been a problem for auto, all autos through COVID, right? But something's, something's changing there, you're confident. Yeah, the um, product is the first thing. You've got to start with the product. Can we deliver the product over the next five years? Absolutely, we can. Like I said, I've been really fortunate whilst we can't talk about product. I've seen the future and what the future looks like. So our growth will come from new models. Our growth won't come from yet selling more and more of the existing models, which is really exciting. So over the next five years, we've got some beautiful products coming through and uh, which will help help with that growth and that challenge. So that's the first thing. The second thing in terms of the infrastructure yeah, the infrastructure is really difficult at the moment and we need, obviously, the government support. We need everybody on board to help us to get that. But we've got to play a part from that. Part of that part is actually teaching and coaching our consumers on how it works today. We can do that today because we're selling, we're going to be selling roughly about 5,000 cars battery electric this year. So we've got an opportunity to talk direct to our consumers and help support them on this growth journey. Uh, and what I mean by that is that, you know, something as simple as having a charger at home. I drive a C40 pure electric car and every night when I get home, if I need to, I plug it in. It's like, like my iPhone, right? You just get into that habit. Right. My wife and I, so we share one charger at home, sits on the wall. Is it very inexpensive to put in? So we just swap and every now and then she plugs it in or I plug it in for her or she plugs it in for me. So that's the process. If you can get to start to educate people on how to use the battery electric car, then the range anxiety goes away. Yeah, and most of our cars now will will do in, in excess of 400 kilometres in one charge. So when you're looking at that, and most consumers will only drive 50, 60 Ks a day anyway. So when you look at that, the, we've got to educate our consumers about range anxiety. That's the, that's the second point. The third point is the infrastructure will come. We've seen the announcement from New South Wales governments and most of the other governments. They're investing huge money over the course of the next five years to make sure they meet up with consumers and demand and make sure we offer charging facilities for all of our consumers. So that will come. So we're getting in early, help train our consumers, make sure that we provide the level of support they need, which is about range anxiety, and then the products will come as well over the next five years. Really exciting, Paul. Yeah, it is. And so, you know, to your point, you've got publicly funded infrastructure or publicly subsidised at least. You've got private networks, you've got fuel petrol stations, and you've got sort of private networks kicking in as well. How does that all wash out eventually, Steve? I mean, I, you're talking to sort of a, an, an analogue person on electric here and that I don't know enough about it. That's why I'm asking. But what's the washout in the, in the networks, the private network or the networks and charging networks, that is? 
So here's the plan, the long-term plan, which I think is slowly unravelling. We've just announced the launch of the EX90 in Europe and it will come to Australia some point next year. Now, the EX90 will have a battery um, the size of the car underneath the floor plan. Now, what, what does that really mean for the consumers is that instead of at the moment, we go home, we plug all our devices in and we draw down from the grid every single day. That's a huge demand on the grid. So the idea is we wash forward going. It's a bi-directional uh, capability. And again, the idea behind that is that, you know, we've got beautiful sunshine in Australia all the time. So you use solar power, solar panels, solar power then charges your car. Your car then at some point throughout the day can actually charge your house or put the put the power back into the house. So it becomes a storage point for power in the future. That way you've got less demand on the grid. So you've got a bi-directional um, flow. So you've either got solar, you've got the sun, you've got the grid, and you've got a car. So in the future, the cars will actually be able to be uh, able to power your facility, whether it be your home, your business. So that way we become a bit more self-sufficient. And I think that's the level of detail that's going to go on in this industry. And like I said, we've just launched it in our EX90, the bi-directional charging. And it's a game changer. It's absolutely a game changer for all of us. So you're less reliant on the grid and you can actually just start to use your car more as a mobile battery storage facility. Figure this, Paul, you go camping with the kids, right? Instead of having a generator to plug your fridge in, you plug it into the car. That's kind of how the future looks like going forward. Fascinating. Just to be clear, you talked about your your electric car sales. What is the percentage of your total range now that is fully electric today given that you're going to 100% at 2026. So where do you sit now on that number? So, uh, and again, we have got a few constraints around supply. So we're looking about 40 to 45% this year. Next year, that will rise to about 70%. And then obviously 2026 will be fully 100%. So really, we're not talking about flipping and going complete, not to 100 in the last final year. It's a gradual progression over the next couple of years anyway. So when people talk about, oh, well, you're going fully electric, in, in two years' time, we will be 75% of our sales will be fully electric. And we're waiting for that final product lineup to click in that we can't talk about, which will actually come through towards 2026. Touchwood, we're hoping. I do have to ask, I know you're not allowed to say specifics on models, but we will see a range that will be right through different shapes and sizes. Yeah, It won't just be, it'll go through the whole range what we see in terms of the Volvo range? Yeah, uh, again, no, no plans have been set as yet. And obviously in Australia, we've got a long way to work through with Gothenburg of what that looks like. But the idea, obviously, the, the products that I have seen are exciting and are a game changer for our industry in Australia. So yes, I'm pretty, co- I'm pretty confident that we will see some really exciting products coming through. Dealers, how's that going? Because that, that's a very different business for them too, I guess. And there's be a big training, educational and information, apart from anything else, just getting them to understand where are they at at the moment on this? Well, there's two things that happened. So first thing is that we've given them clear uh, direction on our strategy. So there's no wavering from this. So we told them 2026, we will be fully electric as a car company in Australia. That helps them because then they can focus all of their strategy on the future, not on on the old technology, um, mild hybrids and, and petrols and diesel cars. So for them, it's clarity. They're a bit nervous, obviously, because it's a change. 
But the world is changing so quickly at the moment, as we all know. I think the quote that I love at the moment is the, uh, we have never experienced or seen change as fast as this, and it's only going to get faster. So we're working with them to help transform their businesses. This year, we will make sure that all of our retailers have fast chargers, customer-facing fast chargers. So that will take a process of 12 to 18 months to install within our network. The idea behind that is that we will go out to our consumers and say, great news, you can stop off at any one of our Volvo dealers, have a coffee, have some Fika, and we'll charge your car free of charge for you as well at the same time. So we're putting in plans in place to make sure and to help and support the retailers to do that. And that's going to grow out over the next 18 months. So the next part really is to obviously train and coach our retailers on what the new world looks like. And we're putting in plans again this year to try and support that because our consumers look different. So there's no point in this industry just, you know, carrying on in the way we've always carried on. We need a new breed of, of person in the in the dealership. So we need a new a new either new salesman or new handover specialist, whatever that might be. There may be mobile servicing, all those kind of things are coming towards us. And we will work with our retailers to transform their business over the next uh, next three years. Well, to your point, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, new capabilities, even down at dealer level, because servicing changes completely, doesn't it? It's not like it used to be in a combust- with a combustion engine. So, Julie Hutchinson, um, you've got some big things to sort out too, really, for the brand, for marketing and communications. Um, what's the sort of among your biggest challenges, Julie? It's going to be it's going to be quite busy, uh, to Steve's point, by 2030. You've got a little bit of a lead in that you're, you're getting into it early. But is this a brand awareness job first or can you get to performance and conversion marketing tactics quickly as well? Where, where do you sit on this? And welcome, Julie. Back, I should say. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you so much. I love, uh, love being part of uh, your podcast. Uh, look, for me, I think the first thing is auto is and always has been a really competitive marketplace you know and I think that's what I love about it as well it's fierce so you know what I'm seeing is that EV advertising in general is increasing at a rapid pace and to give you a bit of context to that uh, last year EV advertising represented 12% of all automotive advertising um, which was up a massive 219% versus the previous year so the race is on uh, and we're, we're certainly wanting to be part of that race. I would say, hands down, salience wins every day of the week. So branding is critical, um, and it's critical to support our profit ambitions and our growth ambitions for the long term. But I also know that I can never take my eye off the here and now. Um, we always have to remain focused on that. So in answer to your question, we have to do both the long term and the short term really well all of the time between now and 2026. So for instance, you did some really interesting work, what, a couple of years ago with the with the iceberg. You'd call that a brand job, I'd imagine. So we're going to see more of Absolutely. not that same execution, but more of that stuff as well as getting people to respond in some way to an inquiry, make an inquiry, download something, et cetera. That's kind of the mission for you. Absolutely. So I've got to really build that presence of mind for Volvo and also that association with Pure Electric as we head towards 2026. We say internally Volvo equals electric. That's what we want people to associate with Volvo. We know it doesn't happen immediately um, as well. So 
you know, we talk a lot internally. The announcement that was made late last year resonated so strongly. You know, it performed so well. We were inundated with requests and interest based off that announcement. But I think it would be foolish to assume that everyone now knows that Volvo is selling only electric. Um, it had a, it absolutely had a big impact. Um, but when you operate on a brand, you can be a little bit too close. So my view is that we have to continue that dialogue um, ongoingly between now and 2026 to build that presence of mind for Volvo. But it is a dual strategy. So I have to do pure electric long term and started, as you rightly said, back in 2021 uh, when we first you know, announced our plans to go pure electric, followed up last year with the announcement that we would do that by 2026 in Australia and then continuing that on. But also I've got to deliver the product that we have coming here now, which is our mild hybrid variants. And, and it's critical that, you know, we have an activation layer moving that product and, and enticing people to come through and purchase that product as we go through this transition. So it's almost a double duty agenda you've got to do, right, Julie? You've got to um, sell the future on electric, well, now in the future on a, on a fully electric, you've got combustion. Is there any risk here that it may confuse car buyers what Volvo is? Certainly in the next couple of years, not, I mean, obviously from 26, it changes, you know, markedly. But in this next three years, is there a risk of confusion at all? From my perspective, absolutely not. Um, and the reason I say that is, you know, going back to my earlier point is not everyone is aware of our electric future. Yes, you know, it's had an impact, but I think a lot of people, you know, they're living their daily busy lives. They don't really know what Volvo is. And, and we've got a really long purchase cycle. So people may not be in market to buy a car for every eight years. So the cycle is on average around eight years. Uh, so whilst we are heading towards that really quickly from our perspective, for a lot of consumers, they won't be thinking about whether they're buying a pure electric car until it comes time for them to make that purchase, which may not be for a few years' time. Do you have a bigger budget to do this? Is your boss, Steve, giving you more to, to try and drive this uh, into market or is he being, you know, a boss and well and prudent, I should say? Steve, can I answer that question? What would you like? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. You go for it, Why don't I ask Steve that question? Are you going to give Julie more budget, Steve? How about that? Yeah, that's better. We will still be spending a lot of money over the next uh, two to three years, both on branding to make sure that our brand sits and resonates with our consumers. I think the important job we've got to do, we've got to continue doing the branding job. Yep. Because otherwise, you know, and I will say this, Paul, all of the cars coming through in the future will be fantastic. All the cars from all the other brands are great brands. So what we need to do, we need to do a branding message and an emotional message. So our point of difference is us. So we want to be different by being ourselves which is the important point. Yep. And you can't do that all the time through product. And sooner or later, it won't be, people won't be buying the product, people will be buying the brand. So yes, Julie has millions of dollars to spend and she will no doubt spend that wisely, but we will be pushing the brand message because again, our point of difference is us. We're Swedish and we want to be different by being ourselves. The products are still going to be fantastic, but every manufacturer makes a good product nowadays. So really, we've got to, we've got to make sure our consumers understand our point of difference. I think as well, just to add to that point as well, I think from where I sit, I'm really happy that we've pulled forward the timeline to 2026 versus 2030, because to run a dual strategy for so long, especially as a 2% player uh, in the marketplace, it's, it, it is a challenge to try and do both jobs really well. Uh, so 
moving that forward means that we've got that dual strategy for three years rather than seven years and, and we can become a pure electric player sooner rather than later. And I guess it gives you that opportunity, doesn't it, to cut through a bit of clutter because not everyone's going to be in market as early as you are with a full range. So I, I can see the upside to that. Absolutely. Steve, um, what is the percentage range on budget increase? Are we talking double digits? I think it's very unlikely double digits will will kick in because obviously we're going through tough times, as everybody will notice. But our budget for marketing is a sizable amount and will continue to be a sizable amount into the foreseeable future. So Julie won't be shy of any any dollars available to to push the brand message. But it's really important that we do invest in the brand. Yeah, This isn't just about a short-term strategy. Uh, we're here for the long term and we need to make sure our consumers understand that. So whatever it is, it's a huge budget, I'm sure. Always we can always spend more, but we we will spend it wisely on brand. I love having the boss on these questions because you can just ask him straight. It's fantastic. So the next bit uh, that I'm really interested in is, as we say in marketing, who's your target? So Julie and Steve, both of you um, on this, I'm sure you've got views, is what customer segments are going to like Volvo's move and buy or likely buy. People like me like Volvo, but then I'm very old and not very cool. Um, you obviously see an upside here for younger segments as well, but the, the key customers that are going to drive Volvo's take up of fully electric models, who do they look like? Are they different to what you've got today? So uh, look, for me, my personal view, and, and there's always a lot of talk about segments, and, it, and in particular, there tends to be a focus on, on demographics. And when you talk about demographics, it's generally age. Uh, so to your point, Paul, when you're talking about, you know, not being um, cool or young, I always take the view that we should be going after people's attitudinal preferences rather than their age. So I know plenty of 50, 60, 70 year olds that are pretty cool um, and young at heart that would absolutely share the same um, I guess, worldviews and values that um, Volvo does and would appeal to them. And quite frankly, I'm agnostic when it comes to, to age and I'm interested most in, in people's attitudes. Uh, we are looking at, at going after, in particular, two primary segments, and I'm not going to go through a huge amount of detail on that. Um, but one of the things I did want to touch on, which I thought was really timely, given uh, that I ran into you at Reset last Friday, when Bernard Salt was up on, on stage, he talked about how Australians have an obsession. In case the listener doesn't know, Bernard Salt is a demographer, a well-known demographer who gave a keynote at the ANA's Reset Conference last Friday. So just so we don't get ahead of the listener there, but thanks, Julie, keep going. And so he talked about how Australians have this obsession with lifestyle, you know, and, and the way we live our lives and enhance our lives is really well. So for me, that's something that's uh, really strong in terms of how we're you know, looking at the people who are buying Volvo, um, they're making lifestyle choices. Uh, and, you know, the car does help to shape their identity um, and helps influence their lifestyle. So that's important. Tech driven is critical as well. Connectivity, you know, being pioneering as well in terms of, you know, having the latest is critical. And they're the sort of people that I guess we haven't reached in the past that we will be certainly going after in the future. Yeah, I also think as well, you know, when we launched the XC40, which was four years ago now, the XC40 has really pulled down the demographics of our audience. And Julie's right, we're not going for anybody specific, but we will be launching another car later on this year. 
And this car will absolutely be a game changer for us. And it will broaden the reach that we go for. So this, this car that we launched back in Q3 and Q4 this year will actually start to pull in the Gen Zs and the Gen Ys into the brand. But at the moment, we're seeing a nice broad brush demographic of people everywhere from 21 all the way through to some of the uh, adopters buying our vehicles and um, battery electric vehicles are in their 70s and 80s. So we've seen a huge drift from from everywhere. So it's a really unusual space. But like I said, we're not trying to pigeonhole that we just want to go for one segment or another segment. We're trying to uh, to broaden our appeal to everybody. And again, this this car that we will launch will be a game changer because it will pull in a younger demographic into the brand. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, despite all of that demographic list targeting, if you like, it will help skew the brand a bit younger, surely, with with some of the new product you've got coming through in electric. It's just going to resonate because that's where they sit, right, in their in their whole worldview. To Julie's point, yeah, I think it also resonates to anybody who wants to make or wants to feel like they're making a change in society. It's pulling everybody who you know who's got a conscious about climate change. You know, the world's got to change. So I think everybody who wants to make that little difference and loves technology, as Julie said, is coming across to the brand. And that's another reason why we went early. So we can grab those early adopters. And they're everywhere from, you know, even my daughter, while she's too young to drive at the moment, she's 12. And she's talking about climate change in the classroom. So they're the people who are going to look to the brands that really care, the brands that are authentic and the brands that are driving change. So again, it's broadening that whole demographic to people who are either old, young, middle-aged, it doesn't matter, but people who want to make that difference and they feel that by buying a battery electric car, they are making the difference. And they are small steps. They are small steps to changing what we do and how we behave. I think one of the biggest statements that I love from our company is that we've been part of the problem. Now we want to be part of the solution. And that's a great statement to make. And that was made a few years ago by our previous CEO, Hawkins Samuelson. And we still use that today. We were part of the problem, but now we really want to be part of the solution. And, and our consumers also want to be part of the solution as well. So it is broadening that whole demographic, which is, which is great for us. I have had a conversation, I'm trying to recall where, where the argument goes that even now, though, with electric vehicles, not all those that are going to buy electrics are crusaders for the environment. They're actually, in, in many instances now, it's a statement about themselves and how they portray, project their own brand, their own sort of, you know, how they want to be perceived. So there's as much, well, I don't know what the, the split is, Steve, but there's an environmental cause or uh, motivation, but there's also now, well, it's actually quite cool to have an electric and I want to be part of that scene. Do you see that coming through, Julie and Steve? Do you see that coming through in any, any of your consumer research at all or customer feedback? Absolutely. I think it's, uh, you know, it's it's values driven for a lot of people, but it's also a big part of any, I guess, if, you, if you're looking at premium luxury brands, a lot of it is signaling. So what does this brand represent and say about me? And uh, people are, are certainly looking to Volvo for reasons they've always associated with the brand, being safe, robust, uh, but also more and increasingly so, you know, progressive, a values-driven organisation that care, you know, and care, you know, about, you know, the, the broader role they play in, in society. So, yeah, we're certainly seeing people uh, talking more broadly around Volvo on other associations that are aligned with electrification. 
The other thing as well, Paul, you know, people love the technology that comes with these cars, right? So you've got two camps. You're absolutely right. You've got people who want to try and, and make a difference in terms of climate, and you've got people who love the technology. Now, we don't talk about speed and acceleration within our cars, but, you know, our, our cars, the battery electric cars, do not to 100 in 4.9 seconds. You know, if you're the old-fashioned petrol head, you love the speed and the thrill. Now, if you're a new transformer in this new world, you love the quietness, but you still love the speed if you want to, but you love the safety and the technology that comes with it even more so. So, you know, why wouldn't you grab both markets? The new, the people who want to look after the planet, great, they're always going to come and jump across, but the people who actually love driving. I'll tell you one thing, I'm not a petrol head and I don't like cars, and I don't know why I'm in the industry, but I love the new technology. It's exciting. It makes driving fun again. You know, that's the point that really we're, we're trying to do. It makes driving fun again. And I think the automotive industry has lost that fun element of, of driving. So now battery electric cars are fun. You know, they're quiet and they're quick if you really want to. Not that we advocate for speed. So, Steve, we'll wrap up with this one. A really interesting conversation. Beyond the disruption and change that's happening in combustion engines versus electric, there's also a lot of a lot of talk across the world, obviously, about how car makers go to market themselves. Um, there's a lot of disruption there, whether it be direct-to-consumer, whether it be subscription platforms. Uh, there's just lots. I, you see lots of interesting models being explored. What does it look like for you? What does retail distribution and the future of retail look like? And will we see different approaches to market from Volvo in, you know, whether it's 26 or 30? What could it look like? I think, you know, I think this is where I was trying to explain earlier that the automotive industry is being pretty staid. You know, we have our footprint, which is a dealership, and we expect our customers to come to us and we expect our consumers to love the experience, right? I think that's got to change. Now, I'm not saying any way, shape or form that we don't have that footprint. We will still have Volvo, that footprint forever and a day, because some people like coming to the retailers. They like uh, seeing them. They like talking to the experts. But I think we've got to obviously make sure that we give the consumers the choice. And that's the point nowadays, Paul. And, and you are seeing subscription models. You're seeing, you know, some of the other manufacturers talk about agency models. You know, let's not get hung up about words and names. Let's get hung up about the consumer and what the consumer wants. If a consumer wants us to drive a car to their house and, and leave them with the car so they can test drive it without any pressure for the weekend, that's, in my belief, that's what we should do. If a consumer wants to buy online, let's give them the ability to buy online. We do everything else online. So why wouldn't we give them the ability to buy a car online? Yeah, we need to make it easier for the consumer. But if the consumer wants to come to our retailers, absolutely, we give them a free coffee, we give them a nice facility, maybe we turn them, in, turn them into offices where people can work from the showroom for, for the day. Yeah, we've got to make sure that the, whatever the automotive changes for the consumer, and that's been our legacy. We've always expected the consumer, no matter what, to come to us. That has gone now, Paul. We need to be flexible, we need to be agile, and we need to adapt to whatever our consumer would be, whether it be the 18, 19-year-old or whether it be the 75, 80-year-old. And that's the important part about the future of automotive. It's not about whether we call it an agency or whether we call it a subscription model. It's about being agile and it's about being adaptable to what our consumers need and want. So when do we start seeing that happen in the Australian market? Is that going to be at the same time as we see full electrification or yeah, what's the timing? Because I'm intrigued by that. It's very, it's very different and some of this stuff sounds pretty interesting. 
Yeah, well, we're starting already to try and transform um, not just our network, but the way we do things. So we're going to have the ability for consumers to buy online very, very shortly. So that's the first step for us. We'll have the ability for consumers to buy accessories online, which is also the next step for us. We will start to look in with our retailers about having a different footprint. And it could well be that we have a dealer or retailer in a, in a, a local marketing area. And they might also have a shop front in like one of the big Westfields. And they might have a service outlet that's tucked away that the consumer doesn't go to. So it's going to look and feel. And we started that journey by talking to our retailers over the last conference that we had in March. So we're already on that journey. What it looks like, I think it will look different in different locations. I don't think we should mirror what you have in Sydney as opposed to what you have in Melbourne. And again, what you have in Orange. They're completely different places. But we need to make sure whatever it looks like is the right footprint for our consumers. And I think that's the important part about this, making sure our consumers are at the forefront of our mind and not at the back of our minds where we say, you know what, Mr. Consumer, you've got to drive all that way to our retailer because that's what we think is, is the best experience. I have got to stop asking questions and I have a thousand others, but it's fascinating. This is a really great conversation. The start of, I think, a great uh, journey that we would like to uh, follow and see how it lands. So thanks for joining Steve Connor, Julie Hutchinson. Great conversation. Uh, stay safe. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.